Yes, of course. Burl Bearer. <laughs> I've known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I'm Roger Moore. I didn't supply the microphone. Live from the gleaming, streamlined, state-of-the-art studios of OutlawRadioLive.com, here's Howard's favorite word, nestled in our secret bunker somewhere in the Los Angeles area. following program is produced by Magic Matt Allen on the Outlaw Radio Network. When is the last time in any context you've used that word? Nestled? I use it every week. Yeah, that was, that was last week, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, Matt. But in yeah. the same context. Yeah, it's, uh, that's the only time anybody uses it. Well, <clears throat> if you happen to be a bird watcher. What? Oh, God, spare me. Well, you. I am the legendary Burl Bear, under more pressure than an astronaut. The man right there is Howard Lapidus, manager of the star. Yes, I am. The guy over here whose voice I cannot understand because I have no treble frequencies in my audio processing. My sincere apologies. I think he said that he's sincerely apologetic. Yes, he is. Or popoleptic. I'm not, though. I can't hear him either. No. Thank God. And it's you. good, isn't it? That, that helps you guys out. So, yeah. Meanwhile, when I was a kid, we used to have this thing in school where it was like, bring your parents to school day and they'd say what they did for a living. Like, yeah, here's my mom. She's a hooker. <laughs> or, you know, what do you do if your parent has an embarrassing gig? There was a Billy Crystal movie where he shows up and tries to explain selling airtime, <laughs> which I always thought was fascinating. What do you do if uh, you're going to a very expensive boarding school, right? Like the most expensive one in the world. And the kids there, they say like you're 10, 11 years old. And uh, the other kids there are the sons of diplomats, daughters of princes in Saudi Arabian hoo-hahs. And, uh, and your dad is an international thief. <laughs> How do you explain? Well, uh, our guest today went to that boarding school. Uh, he actually taught Roger Moore how to ski while he was there. But was your father a thief? My father wasn't, but his father was. Uh, Punch! Check in, please. Hello, guys. Hi there. So there you were, minding your own business, being a 10, 11, 12-year-old kid in Switzerland at the most expensive boarding school in the world. At that time, uh, it was over $100,000 a year. This is back when $100,000 was $100,000. And these are the creme de la creme of international wealth. And they go, hey, Paul, they say... Uh, what does your dad do for a living? <laughs> yeah, that was uh, that was really fun. that was an experience, guys. Um, let me tell you, uh, uh, there's nothing nicer in the world than pretending, you know, pretending to be somebody else. And uh, we all celebrate Halloween all in America, right? So, yeah. You know, and uh, people want to be somebody else. My father, he uh, pretended to play the role that I said he was, which was a legitimate businessman, you know, a jeweler, um, you know, in New York. And, uh, you know, when he, when he came to visit me, he pulled up in the big 560 SEL, you know, Mercedes, and, uh, he, you know, he put a show on. It was really nice. I enjoyed it. Well, yeah, I have the, I've talked to some of your schoolmates who said, oh, yeah, his, his dad came and... Boy, was he sweet and charming and entertaining yeah. and, and just a wonderful guy, some sort of a wealthy jeweler in New York City. Exactly. If they only knew, if they only knew the truth uh, behind it all. Yeah, this is, this, is, uh, this, is a, this is a big move for him, um, you know, and for myself being exposed, you know, with other children and, uh, you know, a different country, different laws. And here I am, uh, 12, 13, 14 years old, in a boarding school, while I know my father is this notorious uh, jewel thief in, in New York City. Yeah, that, that's... That was, a, that, was a, that was a strange time. Yeah, I would imagine so. Uh, I mean, it must have been a time where, uh, where you found out what your dad really did for a living. Uh, I think someone finally took you aside and said, Kid, let me tell you what your dad does. Yeah, it was Alex. Alex uh, Gribbutz, uh, the moth, Moya. 
this guy, he, uh, I remember when I was about seven years old, I believe, he straight up he just opened up and said, you know, your father's a, a thief, right? And I was like, what do you mean? We're all thieves, he said. <laughs> Everybody. And, uh, you know, he was honest. And, uh, you know, you're supposed to be honest with somebody. That is, you're not supposed to hide it. And um, What was your reaction to that? Well, I always kind of knew. Well, they made it cool. You know, they made it cool. And uh, there were some cool cats, you know. Uh, so I, I, I emulated them immediately. I wanted to be like them. You know, it's like uh, any kid growing up in Bensonhurst. And, uh, you know, they see mobsters, you know, growing up in that lifestyle. Uh, it's the same thing. You know, uh, you get attracted to that lifestyle. And, and once, the truth, once, once the truth is exposed, you, you love it even more. You accept it. You know? Now, from what I understand, when, when the crews would get ready to go do a big heist when you were a kid... Yeah. You found that very exciting. You'd help him get ready, check the batteries and the flashlights and all that stuff? Well, yeah, this was my job. I had to prepare everything. You know, I had, uh, I had to put gloves on, use alcohol, and I wiped down the tools, you know, from all the fingerprints and, um, and take off all the tags if it was purchased in a, in a hardware store or whatever. And you get rid of all that evidence and pack it up. So, yeah, I was trained at a very young age to do that. And as a coffee boy, an errand boy, I used to make the best coffee. I was really fast, quick, you know, to make the coffee. Uh, and every time I brought the coffee, I would get, you know, 20 bucks, 50 bucks, 100 bucks, a gold chain, you know. A, a, a $500,000 ring. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, they stuffed my pockets because I was the only kid growing up in this, you know, so I was the only child. I didn't have any other friends. Well, I did have other friends, but they didn't know what was going on. I knew what was going on, and I grew up in, in this lifestyle. Everything was at my house. You know, the entire show was always at my house. After every score, uh, they would uh, tally up, you know, divvy up all the, the, the swag, the stuff, that, the diamonds and jewelry that they got. They would divide everything. And uh, it would be usually my father, the person that would sell everything, you know. So he would pay, he would pay everyone. It would, be his, it would be his job, his heist, his crew. You know, guys worked for him, basically. And um, a lot of these guys, once they learned how to, you know, once they learned the ropes, they could have broke off and started their own crews, you know, and uh, that's exactly what they did. One thing I find, uh, many things I find fascinating about your story is that, you know, you think about someone doing a diamond heist in the Diamond District in New York. You figure they come in from somewhere else, hit it, leave, try to get out of the country, God knows what. But the brilliance, yeah. the brilliance, I think, from a criminal standpoint of your father, is that he had at least five offices in the Diamond District running what appeared to be perfectly reputable businesses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, not only that, uh, we had keys to another 10 or 12 locations. So you could just imagine the magnitude of, of this. It wasn't just uh, that one street. The entire Manhattan, basically. It was everything. It's everything. Anything of value. So uh, your dad, uh, remember I was um, listening to uh, uh, one of the interviews with him that he did on the slide there, you know, for future reference? Yeah. That he didn't start off doing diamonds. No, he started off uh, with this master criminal, Alex Karolanovich. Alex. We call him Texas. And uh, he was one of the original members that got arrested for the Viscaya, you know, in the 70s. Mm -hmm. So he was the, the guy that owned the cab yeah. stand, whatever. He had his own cab company, his own medallion. And uh, he, he started out stealing. He was the real, like, real thief, you know, that came from uh, the, this communist country, right? And he and my father, they started playing chess together, you know, and then uh, they met Polish, the, the Polish guy. The uh, Andrew, Andre Montrose, master criminal. And these guys, you know, they used to go to museums and, 
I guess bag chicks or something. You know, I guess that that, that that's where they used to go. And uh, you know, they they used to impress. I guess the, the the females because they knew about the art and you know they studied. They knew, you know, they knew who the artists were. It was a Monet or Manet. Or, you know, they they had they had some general knowledge about artwork and antiques because they were you know they were future thieves basically. You know, they were. You know, my father was a thief in training, and uh, these guys were already seasoned uh, vets uh, uh, as far as being thieves. They were thieves in Europe, and when they came here, uh, they got together with my father, and they started uh, banging out, like, uh, galleries, antique stores, you know, things of that nature. Uh, a lot of silver in the 70s. Silver was expensive. It wasn't what it was today. You know, yeah, uh, the Hunt brothers screwed up that market. Right, right. So you know, silver was ex- extremely expensive in, in the seventies and, and eighties, and, and then the, the price just plummeted, and it never went back up. But uh, it, no matter, my father switched to gold. Then after, you know, as a matter of fact, one of his first nicknames was Stan Silver or Lucky Stan. You know, he just had a streak of good luck. You know, this guy, he uh, he had a streak of good women, you know, uh, in his life. He had fast cars. You know, he really lived a life. He had, the guy had it all. I mean, you know, uh, he had restaurants, he had nightclubs, he had jewelry stores, uh, and he had a lot of real estate. But so he really didn't need, he really didn't need to do heist after a while because he had all these <laughs> real businesses. He, he didn't have to do heist since I was born. He didn't have to do heist. I was born very extremely wealthy, very rich. But, uh, you know, he was hooked on the the actual, you know, the heist, the doing it, the accomplishment. It wasn't the money. It, it never was the money. You know, it never was the money. It was, uh, you know, being that he was a chess player and he was good at figuring things out. And he just seen he seen what it was that it just you know places weren't secured as they were supposed to be secured and there's a reason for it. My father used to always tell me he's like, look, son, if you don't think that this is all corrupt, let me explain something to you. He says, do you see they have glass, you know, a window, and then they put a gate over the glass, you know? Mm. He says, why don't they put the gate behind the glass? <laughs> that never occurred to me. You see, that's his, that's how he thinks, and this is why. That's amazing. You know, you stop to think about it. Yeah, that really is glass. amazing. Yeah. So you see what I mean now? So this is the way he thought, and this is the way I learned that if, if it ever said something like "Do not enter private." To me, that means, you know, look, please search, you know. Uh, <laughs> you know I'm still thinking about the the, uh, the the gate with the glass. Why is it on the other side? Yeah, exactly, yeah. You know, and um, so their methods of stealing were purely uh, fascinating due to the fact that they used physical uh, endurance because they were athletes, so they used to climb, like, you know, uh, 10, 15 floors on a rope, you know, and uh, no cops could do that. You know what I mean? They're always going to follow you off a rope. I mean, you know, so, uh, and uh, you had to be in, in like, in such shape. And uh, I was just getting a story from uh, Alex uh, a few days ago. We were communicating, and he was telling me, we were asking about this uh, Croatian fellow that was a, a professional soccer player. But he wanted to do a heist, you know, so he can retire, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, with a lot of money and uh, go back to his country, and which he did. Uh, but when he went on the heist with Alex, uh, both Alexes were, were at this heist. This was Alex Gerbach and Alex Vucicovic. That's Montenegro. And these two guys, they climbed, like, you know, three uh, floors, uh, three, four floors on a rope with knots on it. Mm-hmm. And this guy that was a professional athlete couldn't do it. He was frozen. He was stuck out of fear. Like, he was just frozen. He couldn't move. So you know, he was do? like a statue. And they had to carry him. They had to carry this guy. That's how frozen this guy was out of fear. You know, because people think they can do this, you know. But then there's a, a, an illegal element and that's like, you know, some people have stage fright. Yeah. Some people are so talented. I, I'm not joking. I met 
so many talented uh, uh, people in prison, for example, that sing in their cells, right? Mm-hmm. And nobody can see them singing, but you could hear it. But they would never sing in front of you because they're scared. You know, they don't have, they have fear. They're, they're stage fright. You know, they have, mm-hmm. a lot of people have, a lot of people go through this. And, uh, I mean, do you, you know, do you understand? Like, I'm, 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 I'm explaining to you what it takes to become a thief. You know, it's not just you being a strong guy or smart or, no, it's something extra. You need something more, you know? And it's not necessarily bad. It's just that you have to have this uh, no fear uh, aspect about, you know, uh, when you're doing something like this. You can't think about anything negative. You can't think about, you know, but you have to be prepared for everything. And uh, it just takes a certain type of individual to do these things that my father was doing, and he passed that down to me, right? Yeah. So it was, Another uh, thing your your father did. That, I mean, this is kind of ties in with the thing about the why isn't the gate on the other side of the glass, and that is, you have a, a vault with safes in it, and uh-huh. it's an impregnable vault. It's this, it's that, but your father just goes, "No, so what's underneath the vault? Another what's business? On the side of it? Yes. What's on the What's in the bottom? So instead of trying to break into the vault, you just open up the floor underneath and go inside. <laughs> easy, easy, easy like cake. And he figured it out. And the first time was when they penetrated a vault, uh, probably early uh, 70s. Uh, he got upset because he couldn't, uh, they couldn't uh, open the door, you know, the vault door. Mm-hmm. He got so upset that he threw this this 15-pound uh, 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 mallet, this hammer, you know, the sledgehammer. He threw it, and it went right through the vault. It, went, it was a soft vault. It was made out of sheetrock. <laughs> it was so big. It looked and good. It looked, looked very convincing with a big uh, door on it. But the, yeah. it could have, like, paper mache. I mean, yeah, yeah, like a big, you know, like a monster vault, you know, like like a bank vault, like, you know, uh, 20, 25 inches thick, I mean, something enormous. And, and, and they're going at the door, and you see he got so upset that he threw the, the hammer, and it just went right through. And he was like, what the? They, they looked at each other, and they couldn't believe it. That was one of the biggest uh, heists that they, that they pulled uh, at that time. And that, at that time, my father was, he was extremely very wealthy. But not only from that, anything in legitimate business, in the construction business, in the restaurant business. He was successful, whatever he did. So his money was mixed up, you know, with the illegal and the legal. Everything was mixed up, but he always made sure that he had a job. He paid taxes. And this was under the supervision and advice of his lawyer, David Lenetsky, Sr., and uh, this was like the concierge of my father. And he told them exactly what to do and how to do it and not to do certain things because it would turn into uh, more time according to law. You know, like if you have a gun on you while you're doing, you know, oh, yeah. crime, you know you're turning it into a nightmare, into a 15-year crime. Um, so that's why my father was extremely adamant about me not carrying a, a, a firearm, a gun. And I was like Tommy Two Guns in New York. I love guns. I mean, I was addicted to guns, you know, because I, was, I wanted to be a gangster. I was a gangster. And, you know, this is just the lifestyle that we were living, you know, because I needed to protect myself. I had a lot of money on me at all times, you know, so I was a target. I was a target to get robbed. I was a target to get kidnapped. I was a target uh, by the Italians, by the Albanians, by, by anybody. Whoever was, was uh, working with us or around us or whatever, you know, I was uh, a son of a prominent gangster in Manhattan. You know, so I was worth something. And you've seen that I did get kidnapped. I mean, it did happen. So, you know, that's all the, <laughs> the proof you really need, you know? <laughs> Yeah, well, your your kidnap story, which you uh, you told us several months ago, and of course, probably a lot of people listening today uh, uh, don't uh, didn't hear that or, or you know know where to find it. But uh, when you were kidnapped, they will. 
They will. They will not. You know what? Uh, soon, uh, I, I'm very positive that all these stories are going to come to light because, you know, they're, 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 they're based on one fact, which is the truth. And, you know, when, uh, when you were kidnapped, not yeah. only were you just kidnapped, you weren't like kidnapped and held for ransom. You were kidnapped, shot up on drugs, wrapped yeah. up in duct tape, stuck in a, uh, a, a bathtub, a bathtub yeah. for three days, while yeah. they, they robbed your 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 home, robbed your business, robbed your father's business, and millions and millions. Everything they took everything from me. Yeah, everything. Uh, yeah, sure. It was it was horrible. It was bad to be in that situation, and I'm only 22 years old. You know, um, I'm, you know, and I'm thinking this is the end of my life. This is it. Like it's going to end like this. You know. Uh, seriously, that's you know they had plastic on the floor and everything. Like they were, they were like you know they were ready. They're ready to chop me up. They had hacksaws and everything. Like you know they uh, they would have got an Academy Award for it. <laughs> no, it wasn't true because it was so real to me. I was like you know, and they got my 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 partner, my buddy in the trunk already. He's half dead. You know they're gonna hack him up later. And, uh, you know, we're dealing with assassins over here. We're dealing with people that don't mind blood, that don't mind guts. They'll, they'll take off all their clothes and they'll go, go naked in the bathtub and, uh, and hack me up into bits, you know, so they could uh, transport me easier in Ziploc bags. I mean, that's what they do. So, so you, must have, you must have figured your life was over. I, I, I swear to God, on everything that I love, I was saying... Uh, prayers that I didn't even know existed. Okay, mm -hmm. so I was saying, uh, the, you know, uh, Christian, Catholic prayers, everything. Like I was Adonai, all that, everything. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I was, I was doing, I was, I was, I was speaking in tongues. Okay, <laughs> I bet you were uh, trying to communicate with God, so this doesn't happen. So my life does not end in Ziploc bags. Okay, in a in some uh, uh, crappy place in New Jersey somewhere after a heist, after I just pulled a heist, you know, after I'm helping somebody get on their feet, you know, because they came to me to ask me, please, we need to make money. Can you please help us? We're, we're willing to do whatever. You know, and I'm like, all right, fine. You know, they come from my country. You know, they're young also. Let me, let me, let me make them more money than they ever made in their life. But what they did was they had it pre-planned with one of my enemies, which is my father's greatest enemy, and only enemy, really, and that's uh, Muammar, right? Did he, become, uh, did he become your enemy because he was your father's enemy? He, he became our enemy together at the same time, because if he violated my father, he violated me. It doesn't matter. He was my enemy also. But somehow, some way... He got me out of my father's hands because he was speaking bad, uh, you know, about my father to me, like, oh, your father's stealing all your money. It's you. You're doing everything. And I'm young, so I'm eating all this up, you know. And, uh, you know, he's giving me this extra courage I need to fight my father. So my father becomes like my enemy for how long it was, a year and a half or two years that I was rolling with these guys. And these guys, were they were a bad bunch of people. I mean... I mean, a very bad bunch of people. They weren't... Uh, they thing, weren't they gentlemen weren't like thieves. And your father couldn't yeah, talk they weren't, you... They weren't non-violent. Your, okay? your, non fa your father couldn't talk you away from them? I didn't talk... We, my father and I, we had a big argument and fight, and we don't talk. So we're enemies now. You know, So I'm working with one of his uh, former students, now enemy, and uh, it's the Serbian Mafia, you know? So... I'm here doing heights with them, and my, the last thing that I, you know, the last conversation that I had with my father was, uh, at this time, was he said that, listen, if you keep on doing what you're doing, you're going to wind up in the, in the joint, in the can. And that's exactly what happened. I wound up in prison because of the acts that I was doing with them. And I, uh, I was arrested for one of the largest uh, watch heists in the history of the world, which was the Miracle Watch Company, and that was on 47 in the Diamond District. And I was caught red-handed in the Diamond District. And this was a front page. I mean, this was a front page uh, article, and uh, it was a it was a it was a serious affair. 
because they never caught anyone ever uh, in on you know in, on Forty Seventh Street in the Diamond District uh, robbing you know or stealing because they didn't know who we were. So once they got they got me and they got uh, another gentleman that his brother was a, a famous um, aviation pilot for NYPD. A guy that drives the mayor around, but you know this guy's his brother that bailed him out. So it was a big deal. You know, so you have me, David Sanchez, and Bato Kabovich, and his brother is one of the first uh, notable Pink Panthers in Manhattan that was doing all the windows in the Trump and uh, Tiffany and you know all those those storefronts. He's, he's the first guy to do that. But he's no longer with us. A lot of guys passed away. Uh, there's not a lot of, there's maybe three people left. You know, you know three original people left in the whole entire crew. And well, that, that, with that done. miracle miracle watch company where you got busted, uh, yeah. I've read a lot about that. We've been, uh, uh, talked to you a lot about that, you know, privately. Uh, you made a, you violated one of your own rules, and also there was someone else screwed up. The rule you violated was you don't go back in. Once you're out, you're out. You don't go back in. Yeah. You went back reason, in. Yeah, for some reason, criminals, uh, they like to come back to the scene, you know? Or, you know, for some reason, they just, this is just a unwritten rule. If something happens, they want to come back and see what, what's happening, you know? And that's not cool. Um, because... You know, the police and the FBI, they got intelligent enough to know that they take pictures, uh, you know, of people after the scenes, and they investigate those people that are actually there because they know how high the percentage is that the actual convict or, or criminal was, you know, Return to the scene of the crime. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so like, you know, nine out of ten, they'll find them right there after, you know, after they, you know, to see what's going on. Um I didn't return for that reason. I returned because one of the bags was flipped upside down, and the handles were inside, so you couldn't take the bag because it was very heavy. It had probably like around uh, 1,200, 1,300 watches, you know, in, 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 that, in this bag, in this duffel bag, and uh, it was one of the better, uh, one of the better uh, uh, batches, you know, of watches, the more expensive ones. And then um, I opened the vault. I opened the vault... I didn't even know the guy had a vault. You know, I found it. Like, Ooh, a vault. As long as it's here, I'll open it. Well, I, I seen the vault, you know, in the back. I didn't even know he had one, and I opened it, and I didn't finish taking everything out of it. So that was another reason why I wanted to go back, because I only took, like, uh, 30 40% of it, you know, and I left uh, 60% intact, and I wanted to come back and uh, take everything. Meanwhile, and, uh, your lookout goes for a walk. Yeah, well, he was in a car. Uh, usually we worked in, like, uh, undercover cop cars, you know, or taxis or something, or limos. I was known for doing a lot of heists with limos. Uh, and, uh, but he he was in, like, the undercover, you know, like a LTD, you know, yeah. one of those cars, and he went around the block. He, he, he figured it wasn't, he wasn't needed there, you know, in front of the place. The address was 48 West 48th Street between 5th and 6th Avenue. And that's like, that's in the Diamond District. And uh, funny thing, Alex Gurbat, he, the mall, that's the mall, right? He goes there the next day because he had a watch that, uh, that he was selling him or buying or something. He had some business. And the guy says, you know, your picture was the first picture that the, the NYPD, that uh, Major K-Squad, the detective showed me of him, hmm. you know, and he said, you know, I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't say anything about you, but I know, I know you know exactly where my watches are, you know, so, you know, better than me, that, that's what he told Alex, oh boy, and Alex walked out of there like, oh my God, like, you know, uh, yeah, this job was never supposed to take, never, it was never supposed to happen because he used to buy stolen stuff from us all the time, this guy, you know, and uh, when I went over with Norma and his crew, he was like, hey, you know, I have any good jobs? And I just was on a job today, you know, that I know that, you know, they put like, you know, 20, 30 Cartier watches and Rolexes. I know he put it on top of the safe, you know, and, uh, <clears throat> and we got those watches. So it was a huge job. It was a big job because I went back, 
<clears throat> and um, you're right. I should have never went back. But I was young and dumb. And uh, that's what <laughs> young, dumb criminals do, you know? <laughs> um, so I went back with a new, fresh crew. Uh, because the first two guys I went in was uh, Bobby, Moma, right? And... Uh, I think Zoran. Yeah, Zoran Jacek, who's yeah, currently in, Loma, in Peru. If I'm correct. <laughs> Those two. And uh, they got tired. They don't want to go back because, you know, you have to climb a lot of fire skates. And uh, it's, it's, you know, you need, to be, you need to be very fit running around there. And, you know, back then they didn't have this, uh, this, uh, this thing called parkour, you know, this, you know, where they jump from building to building. Yeah. They do it in France. It's like a sport already. Yeah. But we were doing that back then, you know, in the, you know, through these backyards. You know, that's how we were running through there because we knew every angle and it was just impossible for them to catch us. Yeah, it was, it's, it's an amazing story. Amazing story. But they did and catch you because you went back in and the, uh, the lookout wasn't looking out. The cops show up right. and they're in the oh, same building happened, as you. Yeah. So when we went around the block, uh, there was two uh, cops that were dispatched. Because there was a, a janitor in the building, and when he got to a specific floor that we went into, that we, that we went in through, he opened the, the female bathroom, right? And there was a huge hole leading to the, to the, to the rooftop. And he didn't, you know, he didn't see us, and he didn't see us, because we were upstairs in Miracle Watch Company. So... But he reported it, so he called, you know, 911, and the cops came. And the, the cops, they didn't know where we were at, but we needed to leave that way. So when we came back down from the seventh floor to the fifth floor, or it was like the ninth floor to the seventh floor, one of those, but it was only like, like two, three floors up. Uh, when we got to that, to that floor, there were three cops there with their guns drawn, and I had a mask on, a Halloween mask, and... Uh, so did everybody else, and uh, in a track suit. And uh, the cop later told me, said, "You know what? I remember your mask and your track suit. Well, I remember your track suit." He said he was going to shoot me. Oh, great! Lucky, like, and I'm lucky that that he didn't shoot me because she was scared. You know, he's seen you know three guys coming. You know, we open the door. And there's cops there holding their guns, and they don't know where we are. And uh, we just show up on them, and we pop up on them. I didn't know there was cops there. So uh, David uh, Sanchez throws a bag of washes at him. <laughs> yeah, so David, that, that was on top of me, he threw a bag of he you know, heavy watches on, on top of the cop. And the door closed. I went uh, downstairs. We, like, separated. You know, we went separate ways. Uh, one guy was with me, Bato was with me, and uh, they found me like four hours later, you know, because now they pulled the pins, they called the SWAT team, emergency service units, oh, they called everybody, helicopters were flying in the air, because now they've seen us, you know, they actually seen us for the first time. And uh, it was a big deal, man, huge deal. They had, they dispatched the dogs, and that's basically how they found us, because, uh, I mean, I ran out of, uh, what is it, pepper that I had. You know, I had a special blend of pepper that we used to use for the dogs. As soon as the dog, you know, gets a whiff of it, he's, he's not, he's going to be indisposed. He's not going to be able to smell anything anymore, you know, for a while. <clears throat> so and, you ran out of uh, pepper out. and the dog found you, hiding in the closet. <laughs> yeah, found me in the closet with this guy. He was like six seven. <laughs> he's very tall. And they stick the dog on him. It was a big affair. It was on the front page of the newspapers. Uh, you know, it was a big deal. And I got busted on 47th Street in the Diamond District twice in my life. That's and two times that's more than you need. Else. <laughs> you know? Well, for the story, I mean, for the story, for, to authenticate the story, that, that, that this is what I'm telling you, guys. I was arrested twice. During a commission of a crime, you know, nighttime, you know, three, four o'clock in the morning, in the Diamond District, I'm not supposed to be there, right? That's right. There you go. Uh, but we were supposed to be there. Why? Because my father and my lovely, beautiful mother had four or five working companies, which I was the vice president of one of them, which was Gemstones Trading Gallery International. 
and this was located smack middle of the Diamond District in Manhattan. I mean, couldn't couldn't be more in the middle than we were. We were we were right in the middle of the wealthiest street of the world at one point. Uh, at one point, this place was occupied by every factory, by every diamond corporation, by every diamond cutter, by every diamond distributor, by every gemstone uh, dealer. And uh, this is what we did legitimate, legitimately. We, had, we were earning a lot of money legitimately, uh, paying off taxes and the rents. Uh, you know, we were never late. We never uh, filed for Chapter 11. We never were on welfare. You know, always uh, working, you know, maintaining employment and always owning something like a company or something like that, and property. So that illusion, that image that my father portrayed was, it was almost impenetrable because who, who'd go against that? You know, like he has lawyers, he has good advice, you know, they can't catch the guy, you know? It's amazing. It's extremely weird when I was arrested inside the office. That was the third arrest. Uh, when I was inside the company and I walked past the two detectives uh, that came out of the building that we're in, the main building, 45 West 47th Street. And I tell my friend, Mike, I'm like, hey, those guys are cops, 100%. And I went up to my father and I said, hey, I just bumped into two cops. And all of a sudden, after a couple of seconds, they're kicking the door down and pulling their pistols out to arrest me on a warrant because the whole entire time that I was stealing in New York City from 1990 to 1994, I was wanted on, on warrants. I had like three, four warrants. And I was always on the run the whole entire time. Every time I maintained, I had an apartment, I, I, had a, I was living in hotels, the best hotels. And, uh, like, you know, I was living the life, man, like a playboy, like a rock star, you know? Um, nightclubs every night. And the nightclubs that everybody goes to. So, like... You know, Monday night, China Club, I'm there. You know, like, the night that you're supposed to be there, I'm there, wearing Versace shirts, Hermes shirts, and, and I just did the heist. And nobody's arresting me. You know, so it was very weird. In a way... Well, also, you had... There was a time of extreme corruption in the NYPD at that time. I mean, your dad was obviously protected. Because you got one, you got one group of cops from the major case squad... They're, they're 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 trying to bust whoever is is doing this, but your dad was protected. Club, right? Columbus Cafe, Columbus, uh, this this place called uh, China Club. Yeah. The guy that's working the door, China Club Dave, he's an NYPD cop, and I'm giving him a Versace shirt, <laughs> and a line of blow. You know what I mean? Those were the days, and. And he lets me in, and then five, five, six of my friends, you know, all guys. You know, you, you're not supposed to let guys in like that, you know? I mean, one friend, yeah. There's five, six guys, you don't let guys in a club like that unless they have women with them. And I got VIP treatment anywhere in New York. Why? Well, because, partially because of my father, partially because of Bosco, partially because of me, you know? So it was like a trifecta because I left my father, I made a name for myself, and then I came back even stronger because I had the entire security company that were securing all these diamond corporations in my back pocket. I brought him one of the main managers to his house, you know, and that's how I got back in with my father. That's how I got back good in with my father. And that's when the story really starts. Because that's when we started banging out these heists that were $100 million and better. I just wish I had 1% of that money that we stole back then. Because I wish you did, too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's sensational. The money aspect, is, it's in the billions, you know, if you want to get technical. When you put Alex's and my heist together, because those are my father's heists, you know, so basically if you take his heist, those are like taking my father's and then all of my heists. And you put all that together, they, I mean, wow, we're talking about 50 years worth of stealing in Manhattan. And these are all high-end jewelry uh, manufacturers, uh, Jagger, Jagger Lecoultre, 
the watchmaker. We did them first. We did them in the 80s, in 1986, when I was in Switzerland. They, they already did Jagger or Kult. And nobody heard of them till now. Because, they, they, you know why? Because they got hit in the 1980s and they didn't have any product to show because we had it all. You know? <laughs> That's too bad. I'm not, I'm not joking. I'm not joking. I'm telling you the truth here. Jagger LeCoult. Jagger, this is a huge name in watches. Much bigger uh, and better. Like, it's like, uh, it's, it's much, much stronger than Rolex, you know? Hey, so speaking, of, speaking of Rolex, at one time... Your dad was selected to be, like, head of, of Rolex International. One time only? Really? Only one time? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, bro. One time. You're right. And that's, that, that's because of the mob. You see? The Italian mob, like Cosa Nostra, yeah. they uh, elected my father, Mr. Stan, because he was such a prestigious, uh, uh, generous, courteous uh, businessman that didn't, uh, you know, that kept his uh, business to himself. Yeah, they elected him to become the president for the whole entire United States for Rolex, meaning any Rolex that comes from Switzerland, Geneva, goes to my father first, goes to us. And we're the ones that set the prices for American standards. Yeah, that's true. That's, uh, that's something, because at that time he was getting... Uh, he was getting like presidents for like three, four thousand dollars back then with the box and everything, you know. So they were going for uh, twenty, thirty thousand here. Yeah, Mark Boyer, our fact checker, was just looking up the prices on some of these Rolex watches. Oh, the Jaggers. Yeah. Yeah, Jagger LeCoult. These, yeah, there's three, you know watches that cost two, three hundred thousand dollars, and uh, one of the watches that I had was the hundred fiftieth anniversary for the Jagger LeCoult company and this was probably going to one of the highest executives and this is the watch that i had and i sold it and i stole it back and i gave it back to my father but it was a moon face chronograph one 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 only one made you know i was i was thinking of your father this week and his name is mr stan yeah mr stan yeah, yeah but that's not his name right mr stan, well his name is no his name is Vorislav stanimirovich so they call him Mr. Stan for short to Stanley Mirovich. Because Stanley Mirovich is such a long name. It's 12 letters, and it's almost impossible to pronounce unless you come from that area. So that's why they call him Mr. Stan. But no, that's not his name. That's not his real name. But easy enough to figure out how that happened. Okay. Right. Yeah, and then his construction company had Stan Construction, Stanley Painting Company, Stanley Construction. So, you know, he also used that Stanley for that, for the construction uh, uh, in Manhattan that he used to do, and he was one of the largest uh, contractors because he worked with Tishman and, uh, you know, with big, uh, like, Herbert contracting, you know. And, and the story goes even further because I know of this. When I was with that other crew, I was collecting money for the Serbian mob, and they owned Hawk and Marine Contracts. Uh, based out of Teaneck, New Jersey, and this was huge because I was collecting, you know, two, three hundred thousand uh, dollars every week in the payroll for uh, the construction companies, and we had asbestos companies. I mean, we had so many legitimate, l legitimate companies that we could have funneled our money through. Uh, we had parking lots, we had jewelry stores, we had restaurants, we had uh, nightclubs. You know, I, I was the one with the nightclubs because I liked nightclub business. I like, you know, I was a kid, you know. Uh, but you were only in your early 20s when all this was going on. Yeah, I was, when I, my first bid, when I first got arrested and I had to do the seven, eight years, my first bid was uh, 1994, and I was only 24 years old, okay? So when I, when I got knocked, when I got arrested, and uh, I wasn't even supposed to do uh, time upstate, I had such good lawyers, but... I made a, uh, I did some tomfoolery, you know, because during the time that I was out on bail, I was, I had guns on me, but you could understand, Burl could understand why I had guns on me, because I had people chasing me, I had enemies, and uh, am, am, I, am I correct? Yes, and it's amazing, there was one fellow, serve, uh, what's his name, uh, the boxer, uh, the guy who... Uh... 
Had his ear chopped off. Yeah. Sava de Bacto. Yes. He was murdered about one minute after you left his his place. Uh, as soon as I left, he got murdered. And uh, you know who he is? He's Leonard Spinks' uh, uh, sparring partner. Lifetime sparring partner. There you go. That's who he is. I just found out. Spinks? Say, say that again. Leon Spinks? Uh, uh, wait, hold on a second. Uh, Sugar Ray. I, I don't know now if it's Sugar Ray or Leon or Spinks. Oh, man. I don't know that. Either Sugar Ray Leonard... Or or spit or stink. How big a guy was he? He was like one fifty four, one sixty, like that. Sugar Ray. Sugar Ray, probably Sugar Ray. Yeah, Sugar Ray. But yeah, probably for Sugar Ray, because uh, he was his uh, sparring partner, and uh, his name is Sava. They call him Serbian Sava. He's very well known, and uh, he had his ear chopped off by uh, a Serbian. Uh, one of those uh, Archon guys, you know the what, White Tigers. And, yeah, that's because he was poking uh, the guy's wife. Yeah, yeah, he shouldn't have been doing that. But the guy was, you know, fighting a war, and while the guy was fighting a war, this, you know, this guy's a commando. You know, you don't want to, you don't want to mess with somebody like that with his wife. <laughs> so this commando, instead of killing him because he had his forty-five uh, in his mouth, he cuts his ear off and he throws his ear away. And I remember, Moma, me, Milita, that's my construction. Uh, we're rushing uh, Sava to the hospital. So we take him to ear, nose, and throat in New York, which is, which is the first time they ever reconnected an ear, you know, like this, on somebody's head. So this is like a first-time thing, you know, so it was a big deal. And this was around that time when we were uh, trying to kidnap the kid that was uh, kidnapped by the Moonies, <laughs> by that cult. Yeah. Well, it's around that same time because we were all together at that time. But, yeah. So, lesson number one don't ever mess with a commando, a commando's <laughs> wife. Yeah. I'll write that down. Oh, well, yeah. Write that down, while Howard. He fight, while he's fighting a war. All right. And uh, number two, never come back to a place of a crime. <laughs> <laughs> never return to the scene of the crime and don't poke never, at his wife. Never. <laughs> Just don't do it. Don't come back. Just don't, you know, just don't do it because, listen, I came back, and this is what uh, threw me in, 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 a, in a pit of misery because I had to do, I wound up doing 16 years out of my life in, in incarcerated, in prison. And, uh, How did they catch you when you went back? I mean, what, uh, what, what did you do? How did you give yourself up? That was the oh, I didn't give myself dog, up. Right? They found me. That's they the... found me. I was in between the walls. You know, I was hiding uh, because uh, the police didn't know where we were at, and they had the SWAT team there. So they were going from each floor. They were banging all the doors open, and they were, you know, they were, they were breaking into places like closets and things. But I was hiding fully <coughs> on the fifth floor. Now, mind you, the job took place like on the seventh or ninth floor. You know. Uh, and I'm down on the first floor where the police are coming in and out, and they don't know I'm right there in front of the, the closet. Like I was, I was home free. You know, they would have never thought about that. Just at the end, the dog was the one that found me because there was the last. You know, they were the last to walk out, and the dog started going crazy on the door, and I just opened the door. You know, because they had M16s and stuff. You know, this is an emergency service unit, SWAT team. You don't want to mess with these guys. You know, if they see something shiny, they're going to light me up. And uh, they're very nervous. So I said, listen, I have no weapons. I'm going to open the door. There's two of us in here. And uh, when the fellow that was with me, when he came out, he's like 6'7". So he's extremely he's tall. And they sick the dog on him. Because they got so scared. You know, that's how big this guy comes out. Six, seven, and he comes out of a closet. Like, you know, you know. so it was just, a, it wasn't comical or anything like that. It was just very realistic, you know. Uh, people panic. You know, they have their finger on the trigger, and they don't know what they're dealing with. All right? Uh, so, I mean, I wanted to come out there alive. You yeah, know, good thinking. Now, they, they take you down to the precinct to put you on display like it's Planet of the Apes. That, exactly like the Planet of the Apes. If I had, a, if there was a better analogy to find, there isn't because the three of us 
we were displayed, and every precinct in Manhattan came, and Brooklyn and all over, FBI, they, they came to see us. And they're like, hey, what time is it, guys? You know, <laughs> us what time it was. You know, 5,000 watches stolen. <laughs> Meanwhile, these guys, they were going through uh, the watches right in front of us. Hey, Sarge, which one you want? You know, and they were just pocketing. I, I think each cop that came in there took two, three watches with them. And by the time they went to court, uh, there was only, I don't know, three, four hundred, three hundred watches or something, you know? <laughs> so they were like, well, where's the watch? You caught the guys. <laughs> where are the watches? <laughs> where's the watches? You know, like, so it wasn't, there was not even a case. You know, they, they messed up big time. It was just, it was, it, 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 you, nobody fights cases in New York, first of all, all right? There's no, there's no real criminals, all right? I mean, unless you wanted to talk about the mob. But the mob, they don't really do heists like, like the way we do heists. We do this 24-7, 365 days a year. They do it once a year, maybe. You know what I mean? And they'll do it with one of us. So, uh, you know, if there's something big. And they come, they come, you know, strapped with guns. And they're prepared to kill people. They're prepared to, you know, to, to uh, close down uh, highways and streets. They don't care. You know, I mean, they're, you know, this is what they do. When you partner with those guys, how do you whack up the money? Well, basically, how how do we how do we how do we how do we do it? Yeah. How it? Well, I keep it for myself, and I just whack everybody else off. I just kill everybody. You know? <laughs> no, you're not supposed basically to do that. What I do, you know? In my head, in my head. You know, because I can't believe I'm giving people half a million dollars each, you know. Uh, so, but, yeah, I split it equally. Everybody has their job, and everybody gets equal pay. But there's perks that come with the job. Like, for example, I'm the guy that goes in, right? Right. The guy that opens the safe. So I'm the guy that sees the diamonds first. I'm the guy that touches the diamonds. I'm the guy that packs the diamonds up. So I have sticky fingers because I want to get my cut off the rip, you know? I want to have mine right there. You know, that's just me. And I might split that with my father. I might not. You know, it depends how I feel that day. You know, if I feel generous or not. Or the person that's with me. You know, I always get something extra. But normally, it's, it's, we split it like a pizza pie. Everybody gets an equal share, you know, because we expect everybody's job. It doesn't matter if you're a lookout. Uh, and we do, uh, uh, you know, uh, a nice heist, and you're going to get a chunk, a $200,000 chunk, you're going to get as much as I'm, I'm going to get, you know, and everybody else, because you're going to do your job better than anybody else. You get it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, people play their position here, and you can't have any loose links because we're going fast here, all right? And if you're going fast... You know, you can't have any loose links. you got to change these links and put strong people in place, uh, people that are so strong that if they get in trouble and they get arrested, they're going to keep their mouth shut, and there's going to be a lawyer that's going to be sent, that's paid with bail money to bail this person out if they're on our team. You see how fair we are? Who does that? Nobody. You see, that's showing love. Because out of every heist that we do, we put money in a kitty. You know, like if there's five of us, well, a sixth part goes into a kitty, and that's for, like, to rent the car, for the tools, for the hotel rooms, for whatever is needed, for food, you know, whatever. Expenses. That's an expense account. And this is ran like a business. And uh, we stay together until the job is finished, meaning we're going to stay together four or five days, six days, seven, you know, maybe more. It all depends until it's finished, until it's sold, you know. So, and this is why Mr. Stan always had mansions, always big houses with a lot of bedrooms, you know, because it didn't make sense. It was just him, my mother, and me. And he has a six-bedroom, uh, five-bathroom house. Like, I mean, you know, right? So, you know. So that's so the crew can stay there until everything's all over with. What was that? So that's so the crew could stay there till everything's over with. Exactly. Yeah, and the buyers would come there. You know, like the the buyers that we had on Forty Seventh Street, like Hitler, uh, one of those guys, Benny. Uh, they would come and uh, they would bring cash. You know, they would bring a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand, and then they would come back again. 
and then some stuff would be brought to Manhattan, but, you know, back and forth, whatever. But uh, a lot of times it would come to the house in Long Island, you know. That was nice. It was already set up, you know. So it was just, it was just very, no one would know. The, the neighbor across the street, he was a mobster. <laughs> like, you know, like everything was so secluded and set up and we were so safe, you know. And uh, you're right. Yeah, uh, he, had, he had authorities working for them, you know. Because he had a lot of mob clout. Well, yeah, you told me one time that you were out to dinner with your dad and the chief of police comes over and buys him a drink and says hi to him. Yeah, of course. Like, you know, things like that. You know, like, uh, they have, uh, there's, a, there's a chief of police in Manhattan that was around that same precinct, I think, 72nd. I forgot what precinct it is. I don't want to say the wrong precinct, but up there by 85th and Columbus where we had Panarello's restaurant. And we helped him open a Chinese, uh, uh, a Chinese uh, restaurant, you know? Mm. Well, we listen. Construction, uh, with money, with whatever's needed. Hey, We're just about run out of time. Another hour that just, just zipped by. Fascinating okay. stuff. Hope to have you back again soon. Thanks a lot. Take care, Punch. Thank you, man. Thank All you. Right. Bye. All right. What a life. Amazing. There's I, something else. Amazing, amazing stuff. Hey, bro. Yeah, what's next? Magic Bad Allen and the Demons are taking us live from the Light of Love to Dollar Radio Live. Dot. Yeah. 